So, I was thinking, right? I don't like the bring pass old shit, but it's pretty recent. But old. But recent. It's recently old or oldly recent. So, I was thinking of a scenario. Bill Cosby, right? Let's say he goes on a lovely date with a lovely lady. And let's say him and his wife have a prenuptial agreement, ironically, that he can go out and do what he wants. He's a high-value man. As long as the family matters, different show, but different strokes. So, if he goes on a date, and let's just say a thing that a guy on a date would typically not enjoy. Some he would love. And I got to thinking, what could that possibly be? He's a different guy. He probably has different interests. So he comes home to his wife. The date was cut short. She asked, why are you home so early? He said, well, I don't know. She just seemed out of it. Welcome to episode 73 of the Often Beat podcast. I am back recording this at 6 p.m. Typically don't record at normal times in the day, but 6 p.m. on a Monday, October 25th. Well, this is a genuine question. So... Why are anteaters so fucking big? I've heard of anteaters before, right? But I went a little bit of a rabbit hole. Why is something that is as big as a full-grown anteater, why do we need an animal that big whose one specific job and desire is to eat one of the smallest seeing things that the human eye can see. You know, I feel like you could have compact an anteater into like the size of this microphone. A Blue Yeti microphone. You give an animal the size of a Blue Yeti microphone. And they could just sit there and suck ants up like a vacuum. But no, we want to we make something that's about the size of like a mid-sized golden retriever. And we're like, you know what? These are the type of things. When God, that'd be like, that, that's like getting a tractor, that's like getting for a demolition project. But all you're doing is doing a demolition on a vehicle. We'll just say, I don't know, a Jeep Renegade. Not the biggest vehicle. It's a human vehicle. That humans drive. You know what you probably wouldn't do? You probably wouldn't drop a Hiroshima bomb to take out one Jeep or two Jeeps or three Jeeps. It just seems too big of an impactful object or thing for such a small task. You probably just go to a salvage yard. When you are munching down trees, what do we do? We put them through 
Tree destroyers. Tree destroyers. Jesus, excuse my lack of being able to speak. But we shred trees. We have machines that are specific, perfectly sized to shred trees. When we're compacting trash, we have perfect amount of force to compact a specific amount of trash. When we're doing, when we have a task, we design specific objects that are appropriate and fit for the task. So why is an anteater? Why is an anteater taking up space? You could have twice as many anteaters and have an anteater one-tenth of a size that it is. And they can do the same task. You are overpaying. God, you are overpaying these anteaters with space. Let's say there's 20,000 anteaters on this planet. Of the full size it is now. You know how much space that is taking? It's taking a lot of fucking space. But let's say you cut an anteater into a eighth of the size it is. We'll be generous. Not into cutting down animals or people. But we're going to cut it down. You can have 80,000 anteaters. One eighth of the same anteater. Could do the same job as one full size of a current anteater. But if you cut it down to an eighth of an anteater. It does the same task. You could have four times 80,000 anteaters. And save half of the size. That the population that current anteater sizes take up. Think about that. Just something to think about. Efficiency. Jobs. Appropriate task. Like. You wouldn't pay someone $30 an hour. To do a job. That's. Reasonably require that maybe 13 an hour can pay. Just doesn't make sense. It's spending more money to do less or the same amount of work. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense now, does it? By the way, there was no uh, point or agenda I had with that. I just thought that was a nice comparison. So what happens when you let anteaters go down the rabbit hole and you get a little itch in the bum bum. Kind of like if we didn't have anteaters to take care of ants, imagine how many fucking ants there would be. You'd be laying in bed. Next thing you know, you're waking up and there's a trail in between your crease. Oh, there's going to be a different type of fire drill. Stop, drop, and roll. Except you're going to be buttering up your cheeks in the bathtub to get rid of the burn. Tough acting for tenactin, icy hot, because boy, it's going to be hot. And you're going to be sitting in an ice cold bath either way. I don't know if extreme low temperatures kill ants, but maybe they kill fire ants. But also, if we have fire ants, I'm just thinking this out loud. So I wonder if fire ants, specifically, because there's ants and there's fire ants. I don't know. I've been... You know, bitten by ants before when I was younger, sitting in an ant pile. I've seen the red fire ants. They look like little red tic-tac pills. Or, you know, 
period shaving leftovers. Either way. Oh, you can usher in a proposition for that, but it's still gonna let it burn. Oh, your body won't be the same. Just like they used to. Let it burn. But anyways. So, I wonder. Since fire ants. Since they bring the heat, I guess quite literally. Kind of like Spyro. And you will spiral out of control. Because, man, when you start getting bit by ants... You turn into, basically, you start thinking irrational. When you're in certain types of pains, you start thinking irrational. You know, you break your arm, ah, you completely fracture in half. You're going to be in pain, but you're not going to think irrational. You're not going to be like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to just push up on this arm and just crawl off this field with this bad elbow. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You're still thinking rational. For some reason, when it comes to itching, burns, um, unprotected sex, we just think irrational. Ah, it won't be me. It always is you. It always is. Uh, but, so anyways, back to the point. Since I see hot, opposites attract. Opposites Fix the problem that caused the original action. So if fire ants bite you up your leg. Let's say you have a trail of 40 ants that bite in between your right quad down to your ankle. Not speaking for no one. Just common thing. I'm sure that happens in society. Doesn't discriminate to you in all ages. But let's say you go home. Try to get in the ice tub. And you have 30 ants just crawling on you. Still, they're crawling on you still. I wonder, once you get in that ice cold tub, you pour ice in it, whatever the fuck you gotta do to make it negative 20 degrees, whatever the fuck you gotta do. There's gonna be shrinkage going on there, but hey, people are looking. I'd rather, I'd rather get rid of the sting than worry about being laughed at for hotline bling. But anyways, that's why you used to call me on my cell phone. But then you saw me send ice cold bathtub and you saw me shrinkage as George Costanza on Seinfeld that episode. That's what the reference is to, by the way. My would never shrink in cold weather. Ha ha ha. Uh, But I wonder if I sit and lay in the tub with the ants. Will they die immediately? Well, can they even swim? I'm not a fire ant, you know, expert. I'm literally just thinking out loud. If I go in an ice cold tub and fire ants are just crawling all over my body, right? Like, let's say you're crawling over and you're trying to find a way to get rid of them being sprayed with water. But let's say that's not convenient. Let's say the closest thing you are, let's say you're outside of your house. You're sitting there, you run into someone, someone rolls in with their Honda, and it's some old friend, you get out of your vehicle, you're about to go up the stairs, and before you go up the stairs, like, hey, Clint, how are you? Or, hey, Randall, be like, hey, I'm doing great. 
And then they casually start talking to you, but little did you know your left foot is just sitting in a fire ant. And if you know anything about ants and anything about fire ants, the delayed reaction of when they start, once you start feeling the stings, it is too late. They've already stung you about four times, and it's a delayed reaction. It's not instantaneous. But let's say your left foot is just sitting in an ant. And this person talking for a minute, 15 seconds. And about a minute, five seconds in, you start feeling this itch in your socks. Like, Jesus Christ. We all get random itches. Hey, you don't act irrational. You just rational. Like, ah, it's weird. Maybe my socks. I'm wearing too many socks. A little sweat. Need to shower. Need to change. Whatever the fuck. But then, they're like, hey, have a great day. You look down, and you see, oh, And sometimes when you see the injury, sometimes when you see why you're in pain or very uncomfortable, that's typically when it hits you. You're like, fuck. So you run upstairs. You go straight to the restroom. You fill up. As the water's filling, you try to put your legs and feet in there. But then you can't, you know, uncomfortably in a tub with your big oblong type of body you can't just lay in there and hope the ants fall off you got to move around jump because when you're itching you got to jump you got to move whatever you got shake it off like mariah carey <sighs> talk about pedigree oh oh roy boy more like a soy boy because you're bitching over fire ants but anyways so you jump in the tub let's say it's filled up halfway you can crease your body in there and the fire ants are in the tub. Do they die in cold water? Suffocate? Can they float and then crawl up the walls? I don't know. This has not happened to me. But PSA to you people who have fire ants in your socks. Um, one, that socks. And uh, all I can say is let the red fern grow. Because once you pull the drawer out of that cabinet, it's uh, the little Indian in the cupboard. Have you ever been Indian burned? Uh, see what I did there? You gotta just let it burn. I guess it's the simple things in life we forget. Even when you hear her talking, you don't hear what she said. That's why we make some so easy, so complicated. And then I don't remember the next line, but you get the point. You don't have to call. Uh, PSA. So, uh, I have been in, I've been on a kick lately, and I don't mean missing the uprights. I mean, I've been upright, good posture, stretching the back, um, getting my old mechanical pencil and notebook and filling that bitch up with a screenplay. Yes, you heard that right. PSA, breaking news, Clint is writing a short film screenplay. I am already 51 pages as of today. I started it last week. I do about 5, 6, 10 pages a day. Whatever the boy's feeling. And I genuinely think I have something decent on my hands. Um, This camera can probably do most of the work I need to do. There's just one issue. All I need is a cinematographer. All I need is some people to act out the scenes. And most importantly, I need people to be cool with full frontal nudity. Shouldn't be too hard to find. Um, Of course, I'm kidding. 
I would never make men do full male nudity in a film. That would be sexist. And gotta protect the boys at all costs from shame. But that's why I don't play myself in my own stuff. Uh, but, by the way, there is no nudity involved. But there is some elements in any windows. But it's not supposed to be sexual in nature. But sometimes the quote-unquote sexual innuendos, the perviness of it, leads into the theme that's a bigger message in the story. The movie, the short film as of right now, is called One Per Space Line Sent. Um, Not going to give away the storyline, but if anyone is interested, seriously, hit me up through my email. Um... Hit me up, comment on the YouTube page. Shouldn't be that hard to find. Message me directly, whatever the fuck you gotta do if you are interested in being in a short film. The only thing I could provide you as of right now is I could probably get you some, I could probably buy you food every day. But other than that, I can't pay you. But you know what you will be paid in? If we make this great film, you trust my vision, trust the writing, read the script, you don't like it, well, the problem's with you. But, um, it's mainly I'm looking for, it's a very centered around one individual film. It's a lot of long monologues with a woman kind of being at the center of it. Looking for someone in between the ages of 22 to 32, if you could pass for the age of 26. Um, it's not a very, it's not a heavily, a lot of the film is based off your emotion, your ability to say dialect and words it's not a very action-based film it's a very trying to follow the theme and the message and the the dialogue is the most important aspect of this film it's i'm not gonna give too much of it away it's still in the infancy stages it's idea i've had in my head for a few months but i actually started writing it recently and it's something i think has a lot of merit if not, I'll just type it up, put it in the, put it out there in this, you know, the writer's script association, whatever bullshit that fucking shit is. It's a fucking sham. That's what that is. I want to actually make some myself. It's a personal project. I have, you know, trying to get some momentum going before I get back to work and have to balance all that out. So if anyone's interested in a short film, that I've written. If you want um, to have a meeting to possibly be in it, let me know. If you would like to read part of the script, um, you would have to meet me in person because I've not typed it in. But if you're interested in it, and I could kind of give you an overview and give you a little taste. Can't say I don't got good taste because I'm pretty getting better at writing. You know, it's kind of my potential career. You know, it's kind of something I've been working on for about over a couple, two years now. Something around that ballpark, year and a half. But yeah, I want to make a short film myself. It's not going to be a fancy film. It's not going to be a film that involves special effects. Um, I will be, if we have the opportunity to film this and everything, and I get a guy to film it specifically, then I pay someone to edit it and do all that. My goal is to have it sent to like a Sundance or like an indie or independent film type of thing. 
We could possibly enter the festival and whatever happens, happens. It would mean a lot to me. Um, but yeah, anyone's interested, stop talking about it, Clint. Stop it. And I'll put uh, some. You know what I'll do? Here's what I'll do. In the, uh, in the bio, in the description for all this, I will put my email. For anyone that's interested, just directly email me and just, you know, say you heard about it and whatever the fuck happens after. And we get some together. So, yeah. Any actress, it's mainly actress. That's kind of the focus of the film. Um, but there is some supporting parts, but you know, that will be as it goes. It also does involve an old woman. Any old ladies that, you know, want to start your acting career for no money. Um, I don't know. Maybe I can invest in your dental insurance. I don't know. Maybe invest in your life policy. Maybe we can get married and I get all the benefits before you pass it along to some ungrateful grandson of yours. At least you know I'm grateful. At least I've done something for you. Notoriety. Let your legacy live on. What have they ever done for you? Is sit there, take your gift cards, come once every couple years, pretend they give a fuck about you, and they're like, all right, sorry, I have to go. Work caught up with me. It's like, well, you know what? I'm bringing my work to you. And as Rihanna say, we can work, 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 work. And once we're, you need to get done, 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 done. You come over. You could come over and we can get done with it. Maybe you could... Move up the ranks in my private production company. This is getting really weird. But no, seriously. Yeah, I'll put my email and you guys can uh, see if you want to be a part of it. Something I'm very serious about. Um, I've written scripts in the past, but none that I actually feel is worthy enough to be made. And I feel like if there's an idea you have, right? Let me tell you, like, for anyone that's curious, here's what I will say. Here's how my process gone. Um, I write every day, different things, not necessarily the same thing. I feel like writing a whole bunch of different things aren't specific to either this field, that field, that feels very good for your growth and your way of thinking. And they all feed into each other, better each other. Like I haven't rapped on camera or anything, uh, in probably over a year and a half. But I've written here and there, and I can tell you, I feel my lyrics are better than 90% of people that aren't, you know, good. But, it has improved all facets. And my writing process is, I write six, seven, eight, nine hours a day type of thing. I am a believer in... What you write first is typically going to be the genesis of what's best, right? That doesn't mean I'm not going to edit, better it, and all that shit. What I am saying, though, is I'm basically editing it as a writing. I'm making sure continuity and everything's all together. Because I do not like rewriting shit like that. I try to frame it and break it down as I'm doing it. And it is a very, very... It could be, um, this short film, this idea I have in hand, specifically, is something that I have no experience directing anything. I have no experience, um, you know, filming scenes, working with actors. 
I don't know how they do cinematography. I would actually pay to have someone help me with that shit. I do not know how to edit a film, put it together, all that shit. I'll tell you what I do know. I do know that I've read um, scripts of other people that are quote-unquote, as they say, on my level. And I see a lot of of basic regurgitated nothing interesting right there's you know i was taught early in this process i went to a workshop about a year and a half or so ago to a place let's just say in a different place and one of the instructors you know i haven't i i do not have a degree in writing and all that shit because it's really doesn't make a difference in terms of if you are interesting or good at this type of thing. They said there are three type of people in this writing uh, film type of business. Once you start getting, there's three type of people. There's people who will write the most structurally, the most specifically worded. They will write very descriptive settings that were right decent dialogue everything structurally and everything by the book is correct but the subject matter and what they're doing has either been done a thousand times before and they know it and they just know this is what's hot there's nothing a whole lot of original or creative they're basically rewriting something they've seen they're changing names, they're changing scenes, they're changing ways that happen, but they're just copy and pasting in a sense. They're structurally and everything's perfect, but it's not interesting. It's been done before. Then you have people, and I think as of right now, I fall into this category where the idea and the originality and the interest and the um, true genuineness of of combining reality and awkward elements and making it appealing idealistically to more than just one type of viewer. But structurally, when writing, it's structurally in the story, act one, all that stuff. They haven't gotten that down, so no one's going to take them serious. And then there's a third type, which is people who can combine both. And those are the people that consistently work in this business. So if you have one major flaw in structure and how you put it together and actually having a consistent theme in what you're doing with, with a great idea, if either one of those are, are major flaws, no one's going to take you serious. Um, this is not a master class. I'm not qualified to give anything master or classy. It's kind of a oxymoron, but it's cool. Anyways, but my personal belief is I will always go along with, I believe interesting ideas and originality will always overpower people who just follow the book and 
just want to make a movie just to make a movie or make a short just to make a short or make this just to make this and they use the same basic formulas with no original thought and they're just copy and pasting formulas and they're just putting stuff in the places I want to go through this process knowing my flaws and hopefully as we do it we can put it together and we can collaborate and improve stuff in the film, in the filmmaking, with people who may be completely inexperienced, but that are open to collaborating and trying something new for all of us. And who knows, if you twinkle my toe, you may get a lot more screen times and those who say no, oh, that sounds like a great work environment I just created. Very Harvey. Very uh, Jeff Bezos. Well, not really. Not a whole lot of sexual predation. I mean, I'm pretty sure it happens in Amazon warehouses. I mean, sexual predation happens in every facet of employment. That's one thing. That's one of those things that doesn't change. Sexual harassment... It happens in all workplaces. It's going to happen. And you know what a lot of people won't say? A lot of people, a little sexual harassment goes a long way in building team camaraderie. Camaraderie? Camaraderie. But, uh, look, we may, you know what? Let's have the Hollywood. Let's have the Hollywood behind the scenes set where no one's getting paid. You're probably, you may even be losing money, but you're doing it for the love of acting. And most importantly, you're doing to make my dream come true. And possibly yours, because if you do your job and do it well, and it goes to Sundance, and we get famous and get to go to premieres and shit, because of something we as a team did, even though I wrote the bitch, but we as a team did. The opportunities for you to create future money is basically laying at your dick if you're a guy, and it's basically... Lane, get your vulva if you're a woman. The money, this kind of foreshadowing to the story, by the way. The money, you basically counter it, clock it, cock it, like the pyramid on it. Talk about pyramid scheme, because this whole production is going to be a pyramid scheme. All profit for me. And, you know, maybe we'll get a, you know, I'll make this promise. If you want to come participate in shooting in my short film, I will go to Publix every day, and I will get those catering Publix trays, sandwiches, have all the side items, all the mayo, all the mustard, all the oil and vinegar on the side, whatever, you know, makes your uh, cock float, whatever makes your booty croak, we'll make it happen, orgies on set, let it happen, I'm not going to be involved, I'm a child of God, but... You know what? Hey, maybe if it happens, we'll keep it in the movie and just say it's art when it's obviously not art. By the way, there's no nudity in the film. So, relax. I do find it funny, though. You could definitely tell like when people say, oh, nudity is art. And you'll be watching a movie, and it'll be the most random way of showing a girl's tits. It'll be the most random way of showing you guys buttocks that wasn't necessary. It's like you did not need to shoot from this low of an angle. While this guy changes in his, his underwear. Because he's changing to go to dinner. 
with his stepfather in a film that has nothing to do with necessary for nudity. I like how they just throw it in there and they say, ah, oh, it's for the beauty of art. It's like, all right, whatever. Whatever makes you want to look at a 15-year-old's butthole, you creepy director, James Gunn. It's cool, though. Anyways, um, but yeah, you got to be careful because my belief is... um. Now, transition off the short film. But anyways, yeah, in the short, if we're in the description, if you're interested in possibly uh, being in a short film that should be wrapped up writing in about a week and a half uh, at this pace, probably earlier than that, then hopefully we can get the shooting in the next couple months. But anyways, you got to be careful out here. Um, when you watch TV, specifically when we're talking about political television, which is why I don't watch it. I haven't watched political television in a long time. And typically the only time I even see is when I accidentally come across it when I'm at a Chinese takeout place or the gym. And by default, you just see what's on these 50-inch flat screens. So you know what? You can't avoid it. But whatever. It's like a child in the Catholic priest church. You can't avoid getting in touch. It's going to happen. It's how you deal with it. No pain, no gain, especially playing hardball. Right, Keanu Reeves? Talk about being in the Matrix. Knock, knock. Anyways... On heaven's, ironic, knock, knock on heaven's door. That sounds like a child predation song. Who knows? Did you know the Rolling Stones? They recently are having and taken off uh, their, their quote-unquote not going to perform. Rolling Stones did a song in 1976, I believe. It's a song called Brown Sugar. And it's basically about... Um, how do I put this lightly? It's exactly what a song from 1976 by the Rolling Stones, a song called Brown Sugar, what you think about. He was not talking about brown sugar you're mixing into your mama's apple pie. Um, yeah. It sounds exactly what it sounds like. But apparently, they're uh, taking it. They're trying to take it off. They're not going to perform it live, but it's still on streaming services, so they're still making money off of it. So... That's kind of one of those things like, all right, no one even was like out here fine for you to take the song down. We don't see you act like you're doing a patriotic act or all of a sudden you have this moral cleanse that you had 30, 40 years later. And then you don't actually cut off where it actually would, quote unquote, affect you. I'm not going to say hurt you because I don't think that song is bringing them millions of dollars a year specifically. It's not one of their biggest songs of all time. But... It's like, all right, well, you're still making money off of it. And ironically, by bringing attention to this to an age group like mine who doesn't listen to Rolling Stones, ironically, you know what I did when I heard about that story, that controversial song? Guess what I did? I went and listened to it. So I helped them make 10 cents for that stream. But whatever. Talk about reverse marketing. Reverse. But you got to be careful anyways. You got to be careful when you're watching these. It applies to political television. Uh, it it involves. And I really think it kind of also involves in stand-up comedy. Really, when you want to really break it down. You know, I, I'm not into. And this is besides Dave Chappelle. Because I believe the Dave Chappelle trans, you know, discussion is actually completely different. I really think there's nothing wrong. I think the only thing you could criticize Dave Chappelle for that is, all right, if 
you know, if you keep talking about something over again, maybe there's some personal obsession or whatever, which it's not because if it's still a relevant topic, it's not an obsession. That'd be like telling someone, that'd be like telling him to not talk about, you know, um, black stereotypes or black issues, even though he is black. But that'd be like someone, oh, well, stop talking about that because it's, well, you can't talk about some 14 years apart. It's like, if it's still prevalent, you can. People can. If the issue is still prevalent, if the trans thing wasn't still this hot topic or issue where there is a discussion, then you know what? People wouldn't joke about it. Or it wouldn't be as relevant. But whatever. But you got to be careful when you're... What political television, specifically like the Fox News, MSNBC, CNN, the big... The big old kahunas. And I don't mean balls in the sense they actually have balls. I just mean they put it out there and hang it on your face and say, suck this hair. Hairball, you fucking pussy. But you got to be careful because sometimes an argument could be made. And this is just subjectively. An argument could be made that when you're talking about political television and comedy they've kind of turned into this same thing and honestly i'll even go as far as uh sports radio sports debate show not all that are involved but there are some where you can and this goes across board from comedy political television and sports debate show. Now I'll give a specific example. Doug Gottlieb in sports radio. All you have to do is listen to what he's really saying when he's talking about the Lamar Jackson thing. When he's saying, Lamar Jackson's still not this. It's like, the dude has literally improved every year. Improved his passing numbers. Improved his efficiency. Has won MVP. Improved in the playoff success. All he does is literally win. But yet, we still find a way to say, hmm, I don't know if I would pay him. Oh, but, you know, this, uh, but you know, oh, Justin Herbert, he's amazing. And he is amazing. But he literally has not had a winning season yet. He's literally in his second year, and they're not even doing that fantastic this year. They're doing okay, but they're not, he's not like dominating like Mahomes or nothing. But, You listen to how he, how Doug Gottlieb talks about specific prominent athletes that are very specific skill sets that ironically trumps the typical way and the typical way we are used to seeing a, that position played. Now, let's go political television. Political television has turned into this thing where They use policies and they talk about current issues and they use the current issues and they use current situations and current events to really spew the filter of years and years of spewing consistent, contrite, very specific criticisms or lack thereof for specific issues and for specific people. 
This is not race related, by the way. Now, what it's turned into is let me find a way to get the rhetoric of what I'm really saying beyond, and I'm just using this issue to say the same thing that I say across all issues. And that's really what a lot of this stuff has become. Political television, politics in general, is now used to spit a rhetoric to spit your someone's own personal issues with certain aspects of the world. And they apply it to all, and they spew the rhetoric through national airwaves. And they use those airwaves to convince the casual listener that the issues are because of X, Y, and Z while putting in their little layer of, let's just say, possible discriminatory, possible bias that are harmful. And they use that to, over time, consistently build a fan base, build people that are on their side. And when you are in the radio or TV business, you're what you're trying to do is get people to invest in your personality, to invest in you, where basically no matter what you say, just about anything, people will quote-unquote stand for you. They will be stands for you. Where no matter what you say, they can't objectively look at you in a different way. Whether it's, it's like when someone, no matter what someone does, they will always view the negative. Or no matter what someone is, they will not view anything they do as wrong. That's what the Doug leaves. That's what political television. And lastly, that's kind of what this comedy thing is. I want you, I'm not going to get specific. Here's what I want you to do, though. Just something to think about. I want you to watch five. I want you to just think of, you can think of the biggest comedians. Comedians that like the, let's just say, get into certain issues. And I want you to think about what is their real rhetoric through all this. When you watch Fox News, when you watch CNN, what do you hear? You hear the obvious. You hear the obvious rhetoric of who they're trying to win and who they're trying to lose. Who they're trying to piss off, who they're trying to not becomes so Jekyll and Hyde, it's this Venn diagram of just complete, it's almost comical to watch of how blatant the rhetoric is of what they're really trying to have you say without you thinking it. And that's why you have people, and that's why when you wonder, how can someone not just see something for what it is? How can someone just... Be so blind to when they're in love with someone. Why can someone just be so blind when they see something on television and not see what that broadcaster or what that station is trying to do? When you listen to your favorite comedian, can you truly look beyond just the joke, right? And you don't have to. But it's comedy and politics been inevitably the same is it really just people trying to get their rocks off people just trying to get their real shit of what they really think about things oh wait that's right 
because when athletes do it, though, they're out of their field. Interesting. Okay. All right. All right. That was episode 73 of the Off and Beat podcast. I'm your host, Clint, and I hate politics, and I hate political television, and I hate what sports radio has turned into for the most part. Um, it seems people, as Colin Coward would say, would rather be right than get it right. People have this real hard... They feel like they gotta defend every obvious shitty thing just cause they just feel like they're supposed to, you know, defend it. When you see someone defend something to the pulp of no return, that's Phantom of the Opera reference. They turn Phantom, ironically. And they want you to sing their opera. They want you to sing their tune. And they want you to make you feel like you're the one that doesn't get it. You're the sheep. You're this. It's like anyone that's extreme about anything. I have a lot of reservations about you. Because people that are extreme, you get, here's the way I'll put Anyone or anything that's extreme about specific things. Being being extremism, to me, is almost like you're trying to convince yourself of your conviction. Conviction doesn't, to me, conviction doesn't mean you never move off your extreme point. You never move off your extreme end. That's not conviction. Conviction is being able to assess the situation and quickly... Be able to make convicted, well not convicted, but be able to make actions that have conviction with merit. Having conviction just to have conviction, just to say you have conviction, literally takes the ability to actually make people believe that they should be confident in your conviction. There's a thought process. There's an actual assessment. It's a critical analysis. There's a real life analysis. To conviction. But what the fuck do I know? <sighs> well, alright, that was episode 73 of the Off and Beat podcast in the description. If you want to be part of my short film, potentially, just let me know. Um, yeah, like and subscribe. Don't forget to suck some titties. And uh, bada beam, bada boom. And I realized I didn't even look at the camera for like 92% of this episode. But luckily, the audio is where the money's at. And the video is just where the money can be at. If, you know, if, you know, I gotta... You know what they say about pimples? You could pop a pimple. But it doesn't... Disguise the fact that it was obvious that a pimple was there. If you get my drift. Oh, no one gets your drift, Clint. Oh, Jesus. No one. No one.